Yeah, let's I'll find let a spot for it. Thank you. Ah, what a good way of introducing people. Thank you so much for coming. There are so many of you, and you're dressed up. And um, what a thank you for like choosing to spend Halloween with us. Um, I'm the Hotline Bling video, <laughs> but I'm missing a Drake. <laughs> Is there anyone in the house who can draw a small dancing drake? I know one of you is like, draws him in class probably. <laughs> is there anyone? Alright, someone's going to raise their hand. I'm going to grab us a piece of paper. They'll, someone will just hand, she will hand you paper. You can go off somewhere if you need to. I'll give you Sharpies. You know how to draw drake? Yes! Okay. Go wild. Can he be dancing? Okay. Um, red jacket. Perfect. Um, paper is on its way. I knew we'd make it this far, you guys. Um, Where's our drink? Oh. Hi. Thanks. No worries, thank you. Okay, um, so the first thing, I'm just, I'm going to read something. I was going to read from the book, but you're going to read the book. And this piece is kind of fun to read out loud. Um, so it's from uh, the site from our August theme. Hi, rookies. August's theme is give and take, particularly as it pertains to friendships, family ships, and relationships of all kinds. A few notes on the romantic kind, with no real answers. I find it odd to characterize romantic relationships as more than friends. It seems friendship ought to be the prized jewel, connection through the haze of sex and romance and newness, more than boyfriends, girlfriends, and partners. I have a history of failure in actually living by this philosophy. This can be illustrated with my and S's conversation at the dining room table in the winter when I was looking over the lyrics of Taylor Swift's song, Style. So this is a dialogue and I start, and he has the lower voice, because <laughs> it's a guy voice. <laughs> what the fuck? What? I always thought that in the refrain she was saying, take me out, but it's actually take me home, just over and over. Okay. <laughs> That's like so sad, but so real. How? Like... Throughout the whole song, she has these hesitations about partaking in such a casual romance, but she always comes back to being like, you're cute, I'm cute, we're young, I can handle it. And then she's just going to plop in this extremely dark plea to be taken home, like, turn around, I'm not wired for this kind of relationship. But wouldn't it be take me home as in, like, take me home with you? Oh. <laughs> No? No. Yeah. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Oh my god, obviously right. Like, that'd be so weird if in the middle of this song that's just about like a rowdy fling, she'd just be like, wait, what are we? <laughs> wow, I, um, I can't believe that I... That's so dumb. Well, okay, never mind then. 
I cut my hair because I would rather become a new person than remain the ghost of a past one. It is the haircut which allegedly prompted Frank Sinatra to divorce me a pharaoh. This is actually a myth, but it works. <laughs> it is the haircut I got when I was 13 and saw romance as a distraction from newfound interests in fashion and art. It spins counterclockwise but accelerates the passing of time. Memories of this relationship, if we can call it that, feel as though they happened to a different body. I was photographed before and after. To my own disappointment and myself, the emotional transformation was not visible in the after shots. If anything, I look more self-conscious, threatened by the bareness of the studio, already missing the comfort of femininity. Unfortunately, I have threatened, I have struggled to find a version of femininity that is not synonymous with the kind of self-consciousness that can slowly desaturate a person, perhaps because it's been defined by men or by my own assumptions of what men must want. I loathe to discuss having a type, but all evidence suggests that mine is someone who strikes such a particular balance of handsome and boring that I assign complexity to his silence, confuse that silence for disapproval, and believe that that disapproval is indicative of my failure to meet standards I held for myself long before he entered my sphere. There's the Fiona Apple lyric where she says, It's dangerous work trying to get through to you, and I think if I didn't have to kill, 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 kill myself doing it, maybe I wouldn't think so much of you. There's what Elle said when we discussed writing to a former partner in search of answers and apologies. I knew what I was in for. I probably wouldn't have sent that email if there'd been any chance of him understanding me and giving me what I thought I wanted. I have written and talked at length, I have like a 45 minute long keynote about this, about a philosophy that the projection inherent to fandom can be applied in human interaction, thinking it was empowering to view one's affection for another person as a reflection of oneself. I worry now that I am doomed to be a fangirl forever, that my heart can recognize only unrequited desire as love. There's a scene in the flick where Sam tells Rose he loves her, and Rose retorts that he is in love instead with an idea of her. That's not how I wanted it to seem. Be. That's not how I wanted it to be, Sam says, facing the movie theater screen with his back to her. This is another dialogue starting with Rose. So turn around and look at me. Sam, with tears starting to brim in his eyes, do you like me back? Oh my god, would you please just turn around? Sam shakes his head no. Sam. He shakes his head no again. You're seriously not going to turn around and look at me. He does not turn around. You don't know me. My eighth grade class took a field trip to a 1920s themed restaurant. And while we were getting rounded up in the morning, I sat in the back of the social studies classroom and stared in the dark at the boy I had a crush on. He was in front of the projector and facing me, but silhouetted against the yellow screen so that I could not discern if his eyes stared back at mine or not. But it was lovely to pine for the answer. I had dressed up as Daisy Buchanan, but was thrilled for him to be my green light. 
Is it so criminal, though, to try to keep your heart protected before allowing anyone the opportunity to treat it like a whoopee cushion? To need to know that this person likes you back before you turn around and say you love them and grant them permission to inflate the space inside your chest before crushing it out with some crude fart sound. Who's responsible for the first gesture? I am told each sentiment unfolds in small ways, in turn. I know now that the reckless, hair-flippy style method of relationshiping leaves little room for such care, for me anyways. Um, and then it's the, this was the editor's letter, and at the end we always ask people to send in their stuff. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but um, I'd like to know what happens between friendship and more than friends that exchanges my own generally realistic lens for a kaleidoscope. This month is all about that in the greater interest of being as genuinely loving as possible to partners of all kinds. If you have answers or similar questions you love exploring, send them in, but don't because this is from August. <laughs> for visual art, we're looking for anything resembling an optical illusion. <laughs> loves an illusion just kidding <laughs> that's it um so next marie is going to read and she's amazing and has been writing for the site since day one and i could say a lot of things she rules hello I'm going to be reading from a piece that was published earlier this month. It's called The Horny Girl's Guide to Life. Nobody panic. Um, <laughs> As your body goes through its wondrous changes, horniness, a.k.a. sexual arousal, can show up unannounced and ready to party with your hormones. What exactly are these horny feelings, you ask? Arousal varies from person to person. Your cheeks could get flushed. Tingles may rush through your bod. An achy, throbbing sensation might occur in your genital area. These are some of the ways the horn, a presence that I imagine as the embodiment of horniness, basically knocks on your door to say, Hello, I'm here. At the same time, it's also okay if the horn passes you by. Some people don't experience feelings of sexual attraction until after puberty, puberty or at all. Today we'll focus on how to deal if you find yourself receiving an expected, unexpected visit from horniness and its occasional overbearing presence. So think of me as your horny fairy godmother. <laughs> Where does the horn lurk? There are times when sexual arousal isn't really a surprise. Let's say you're at the movies with the object of your affection sharing a bucket of popcorn. As they reach down for, your, for a buttery kernel, their hand gently brushes against yours. Chills run down your spine and right to your sexy area, and suddenly, feel, suddenly you feel like a cartoon wolf with its eyes bugging out. Awooga! You're already super attracted to this person, so it's no shock that your body is getting excited by being in close proximity to theirs. Sometimes, though, horniness overtakes you when you least expect it. Like you're sitting in class and you suddenly get those intense feelings I just described. You'll ask yourself, how'd this happen? I'm just over here trying to learn geometry and now I have an overwhelming urge to rub my body against someone or something. <laughs> you scream in your mind, who goes there? Don't fret, my pet. This is totally con. It's just the horn lurking in the shadows. <laughs> what to do when the horn strikes? A fact about the horn is that it often rears its head when you're in the absolute worst place possible for it to appear, like the aforementioned classroom, work, or in even more inappropriate settings like a church or a funeral. <laughs> 
But really, there's no need to panic. I'm going to work, walk you through a few strategies that'll help you handle these horny moments. First up, don't beat yourself up, up about it. The body is truly a wild thing that sometimes acts in an uncontrollable manner. Even though this can feel totally extreme, as though there's a flashing marquee announcing to everyone, this person is horny. Nobody else can tell, I can promise. Or they might be going through that same exact moment, same exact thing at that moment. What helped decrease my freakouts more than anything was understanding that I wasn't alone. Does it do a Jedi mind trick to stay focused on the situation? When I was stricken through with horniness during inopportune moments, I learned to put it on pause and forget about it for the time being. I'll get amused at the awkwardness and let myself laugh about an uncomfortable situation almost helps relieve the tension automatically. I might also tell someone about it. Texting a friend about the conundrum can help make the moment more hilarious. They might even respond that they're horny too, except they're in a worse place, like in a restaurant with their family. Bad zooks! Anyway, it might be hard to concentrate, but just say to yourself, don't worry, horn, I'll get to you later, and maybe even use the rock's voice in your mind. <laughs> Consider space and time. If you're spending a lot of time near someone, let's say a steady partner or a coworker, it's natural to feel a sexual attraction towards them, even though they may not be your usual type. First of all, they're more likely to be around when you get random sexual compulsions, kind of like a horn crush by proxy. Or you might have a thing for them, which is fine too. If you're in a professional atmosphere, you'll have to keep your wits about you, so the aforementioned de Jedi mind trick may be useful here. That being said, a random crush can make things more fun. And next week, you might be over them and getting googly eyes over someone else. That's how unpredictable the horn is. <laughs> Tell yourself it's only a dream. Horny dreams can feel jarring because unless you're a lucid dreamer and can exert control over your dream state, it can be total anarchy in Snoozeville. I've had the weirdest sexual dreams. These have included erotic ones about friends, fictional characters, and celebrities I don't have the hots for in real life. And this is good for Halloween, because once I dreamt that pinhead from the Hellraiser movies is rubbing my butt in a kitchen. Scary! <laughs> Sometimes I'll wake up super embarrassed and confused, but then I just laugh it off, because that's the horn again. <laughs> Have sex. If sex with other people is something that you already do, one way to revel in these carnal cravings is to engage in fun, safe, consexual makeouts, humping, hand-holding with someone you trust. If the person you want to bum bods with is someone you already have an open dialogue with, then consider communicating your desires. Whether you're ready to do so is something you'll have to decide for yourself. Trust your instincts and comfort level. If you're both given and received the green light for some hot and heavy human-on-human -human action, then it's time to have some fun. It's nigh impossible to tame the wild creature that is the horn, but we can at least temporarily relieve it. Embrace that monster. busy taking snapchats you know how it is <laughs> okay so what I'll be reading is called what's possible and it's a comic I just did with Kendra Yee and it was on the site on Tuesday and I just think it goes along with this Halloween type thing because it's just about fangirling but like also being finding yourself in all that so here we go how to put on my gloves I'm a Teletubby by the way just imagine this is straight up 
Okay. The early 2000s were a good time to be a millennial six-year-old girl with a Kim Possible infatuation and a family that also happened to have one of those laptop gadgets. I don't remember visiting any other site on the internet than the Kim Possible page of the Disney Channel website. <laughs> Close your eyes and imagine the excitement, the beats per minute of my heart as I discovered a way to, finally, express my feelings to the animated Supergirl herself. Picture of me typing to Kim Possible. <laughs> Kim was my first inspiration. I'd imagine swinging from tree to tree or roof to roof in my suburban cul-de-sac, just like she would so masterfully hop from building to building. I watched every episode, and there was no doubt in my young mind that I could replace Ron Stoppable as her right hand. And after establishing myself as a more than worthy sidekick, I would eventually morph into the Kim Possible. Symbols for emphasis. But what about being Allison, my mom asked, after reading my proud declaration of fangirl dumb to Miss Possible over my shoulder. I'm sure I responded with the six-year-old equivalent of, sure, fine, whatever. <laughs> what was she even talking about? <laughs> what sound-minded person wouldn't want to be a crop-top rocking cheerleader in a kick-flipping cannibal fast by night. I was concerned that my mom wasn't equally prepared to dedicate herself to the best crime-halting woman known to child kind. To little old me, Kim was the heroine who put the spring in my step with the help of Skechers sneakers. I trotted around, imitating her swift cartoon gestures and phrases, hoping that the rest, specifically my own communicator and pet mole rat, would come along in time. Ten years later, I am writing and drawing and creating the mood board of all the things I want to someday become in one person. I keep a couple of personal icons close by as I work on this. Sometimes I find myself falling under the influence of their spells so completely that I'm tempted to mod podge their face, profile, front, and three quarters all over my walls as my what-to-become visuals. Once I come back to Earth and look around at all the things I have created, what I am capable of doing, their magic wears off. Feeling the power within, again and again, I come to the same conclusion. I'll become my own Kim Possible. Backflips and body flinging moves optional. Emily and Gabby here hiding in the back? All right, I take that as a no. <laughs> Hello. My name is Amanda. So happy to be here. Oh, that's a cool Netflix shirt. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a little story about how I accidentally provided social commentary. Um, <laughs> so I have this friend named November, which I think is a really sick name. And she's like my best friend. We do everything together. We always comment back and forth on people's Instagrams to each other. And this one night, she added me on one of Kylie Jenner's posts. <laughs> <laughs> 
and she does this all the time. She asks me on stuff that she thinks like either I would be like mad at, or I'd find funny, or like videos of people like doing runs, um, and <laughs> and so. I looked at the picture that she added me on and it was this picture of Kylie Jenner wearing cornrows. And we'd had discussions about this all the time. I made this video about cultural appropriation and cornrows and I posted it on Tumblr and then like everyone reblogged it and that became a big thing. And um, when I saw her comment, I commented back to her just thinking that I was adding my friend back. And I said, when you appropriate black features and black culture, but you fail to use your position of power to help black Americans. And when I said that, I only intended it for my friend November. And I'm like, oh, I'm being like really clever. It's really funny. And I close my phone, and I go back to working on my chemistry paper. And then three hours later, November calls me, and she's like, a man led? Do not check Instagram. Do not check the internet. And of course I'm going to check Instagram and the internet when she says that. So I, <laughs> I go on Instagram and I see all these very passionate comments. And then I go on the internet and I see all of these articles that are like, Amanda Stenberg is bullying Kylie Jenner. And <laughs> Kylie Jenner responds, mad if I do, mad if I don't, go hang with Jaden or something. Got real, got real crazy. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I'm dead, and of course I didn't finish my chemistry paper, um, I just continued like scrolling on the internet, and I got into that like very bad loop of time, and I don't even know where I went, but just reading comments and articles and everything, um, and I freaked out a little bit, and I was really upset because a lot of the articles completely missed my point, and they were just like, cat fight, meow. <laughs> and I was like, that's so gross. Like, this is not a girl fight. I'm trying to talk about racism. So after that frustration, I, you know, like, calmed down a little bit, and I was simultaneously working on this paper from a history class on the dehumanization of black female bodies and I kind of pulled from that and I posted something on Instagram about it so I'm going to read that for you <laughs> alright here we go <laughs> black features are beautiful black women are not white women are paragons of virtue and desire black women are objects of fetishism and brutality this, at least, seems to be the mentality surrounding black femininity and beauty in a society built upon Eurocentric beauty standards. While white women are praised for altering their bodies, plumping their lips, and tanning their skin, black women are shamed, although the same features exist on them naturally. This double standard is one string in the netting that surrounds black female sexuality, a web that entraps black women when they claim sexual agency. Deeply ingrained into culture is the notion that black female bodies at the intersect of oppression are less than human and therefore unattractive. They are symbols of pain, trauma, and degradation. Often when they are sexualized, it is from a place of racial fetishism. Ew. Black feminine sexuality is a tender spot, tender with deep-rooted suppression and taboo, the effects of which are pervasive. The stigmas surrounding it are embedded in American infrastructure and psyche as evidenced by the way black women are sexually assaulted and treated by police. 
an act that goes frequently unreported by the media. When the media is not ignoring black women altogether, they are disparaging them. As culture shifts and racial tensions are tested through the vehicle of the Black Lives Matter movement, it is important to question, do black female lives matter too? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, I know, it, I'm, that came together totally last minute and I'm so happy that it did. Um, you could come back, because <laughs> now we're just gonna do a Q&A. Um, oh. <laughs> um, oh, well, okay. I do have questions for you, but I want to open it up too. And um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just emotional at all of this and proud of you. Um, well, when I remember when you made that video, you said that people at school were not like your classmates weren't um, receptive. And then once it went viral, they were like, cool video, Amanda. <laughs> um, could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, um, so I go to a private school um, where everyone is white. And there are like four black girls in my class. And there are no black people at all in my history class. And we started having this discussion about like cultural appropriation. And we had this assignment, which was basically to take an artifact and go through the history of the artifact over 10 years. And I chose cornrows because I, I felt like things had shifted so much in the way that they were perceived. Um, so I made that video. And <laughs> a lot of the guys in my class were like, why is it such a big deal? Like, everyone can wear braids, Amanda. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're not understanding. Like, it's, and it's not just about braids. I'm not saying that no one can wear braids. And I'm trying to get you to understand is that, like, while people are wearing braids, they also don't care about what's happening to black people. And they were like, you should just chill out. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, it's not even a big deal. And I, was, and I tried to argue with them, and they kept being like, are you, like, on your period or something? Like, chill out. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, like, yeah, a couple months later when it went viral, they're all like, I actually, like, watched it, and I understood it, and I think that's cool that you made that. <laughs> so go figure. I guess you just got to give them some time. Um, you should do voices on Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Um, and I also think that, like, that reminds me of when, well, because then the way your video was written about and the way that um, the Kylie comment were written was written about, it made it about, like, celebrity and, like you said, like, the cat fight. And um, I guess, I don't, this is more of a comment, but I just, like, find it frustrating when it becomes about that instead of the instead of your actual, what you're trying to say and your message. But you were very, um, how did you make the decision once the Kylie stuff blew up and she came back with her super cognizant, uh, sophisticated response? Um, like, 
when all of that stuff is happening, you and you post like you're. <laughs> when stuff like that is happening, you're also like very active all the time on social media in being in touch with your followers and speaking about racism and other issues all the time. How do you decide when all of that is happening? Like on one hand, your friends like don't look at the internet, and you're gonna look at the internet, yeah. and it's hard to look away. What do you do to for self care and to take care of yourself when uh, it feels like a lot of people are listening? Yeah, it can be really hard, um, and I'm still figuring out how to do that because I read this quote that I always think about, which is, "There's two ways to dehumanize people, and it's to oppress them and to idolize them." And like, it's actually kind of ironic because when I wrote the comment on Kylie Jenner's Instagram, I wrote it not seeing her as a real person, and I wrote it thinking that she would never see it. And that's how we always treat celebrities. We're like, they're never going to see this. They're just this like abstract concept that I can project all of my shit onto. Um, and I think what I'm just realizing is like we're all people, and like we all have issues and we all like poop and like it's a part of life and um, <laughs> I think what I do to take care of myself actually what I'm doing recently is just like humanizing myself to people who look up to me as like a celebrity and when I'm like hey I'm a real person like I had a really bad day what's up with you guys and people respond saying like yeah like my girlfriend broke up with me yesterday or like I had this math test and it was really awful and I'm mad or just like little tidbits from their day it's such a rewarding feeling because I feel like I'm connecting to them in a, in a real way and so that's been my method of dealing with it recently is just being like hey guys we're people <laughs> um and yeah, I mean, okay. that was the outside. So so yeah, that, that's what I've been doing recently. Um, and yeah, when I have like social anxiety and stuff about it, I just I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that makes so much sense, um, and that whenever I'm. Uh, this happens a lot with doing the book events because I'll be like, oh, like, my skin looks bad or something. And then I'm like, literally the worst thing. First of all, it's a rookie event and everyone's just like happy to see each other and even happier if other people have pimples because we all have pimples. <laughs> um, but it's like the worst thing that can happen when you expose yourself in that way. I'm pretty sure most of the time is just that someone else relates to it. And that's good. Yeah. And like, no one's gonna be like, "Ale," because <laughs> you put it out there and you own it. Mm -hmm. Um. And I'm like intimidated by you. <laughs> you just you got up here and you read and I. Uh. Um. Can I say Yeah. I remember coming to a rookie event. Was it a year ago or two years ago? Been a while ago. I don't know, but I remember coming being so intimidated by you and being like, oh my god, she's so cool. Like, I hope she doesn't look at me. <laughs> and now I'm here, like, standing here with you, and it's very surreal. So, anyways. <laughs> okay, now we're just idolizing each other, and that's bad. Okay, don't do that. Gross.
<laughs> humanize each other. Ugh, God. Um, you like already answered. Oh, okay. One thing I wanted to know: we get a lot of questions from readers, especially on the tour I've been on, about like expressing yourself, uh, usually in a school situation or to family. Um, where it's not like you're trying to convert them to your belief system. It's that your beliefs are like, hey, treat people like people. Um, and I, people always ask me for adv- uh, advice on like really getting through and making sure people don't feel attacked, but also feeling like you're respecting your own emotions. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like thoughts on... I don't know if people if like when people are offensive and I don't and I'm trying to like tell them that they're wrong but in a loving way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I'm really lucky to to be friends with awesome people who, you know, like are socially conscious and not offensive generally. But when I do come across that, it's. It's easier to go in and just be like, hey, you said this thing, and I'm not really sure if it was that cool, and um, I would love to explain it to you because it would make me feel better. Like, it's easier to talk to other people about like social justice and, and stuff um, from a personal place instead of like, you're wrong, and you're offensive, and you're racist, because then... You know, people get extremely defensive, but when you're like, oh, it made me feel this way, or, like, it's actually very personal to me, um, I find that's easier. Because when we talk about, like, racism and sexism and those issues, it's so easy to make it this abstract, like, political debate, um, like, which is so funny to me when I'm talking to guys um, and and or girls, and, you know, they're like, I don't believe in feminism, because it's just, like, trying to promote, like, women over guys, and it's, and they talk about it as if it's this, like, big concept that's not actually very personal to all women, and I think the best way to fight that is just to be like, yeah, this is my actual life, this is my everyday existence, this is not a political debate, this is my life, you know, so that's what I'm trying to do, (laughs) Um, and just, like, explain things thoroughly, I get a lot of messages on Tumblr, um, and people asking me to explain things, (laughs) just, like, I'm, like, I'm not an all-knowing authority on everything, but it's, it's kind of good for me to just think about things and write them out, actually, and, um, yeah, I've had to tell my followers, like, don't jump on this person. They literally don't know yet. Like, they're actually not in the know. And they're not at your level yet, so you have to be patient. So. <laughs> no. Um, it's also so funny when people are like, I don't like feminism because it seems like they, love they, <laughs> just want women to be above men as if there's like as if someone's like ready to press a button where they're like okay and now the women have the power (laughs) um yeah it's like so abstract um well I'm sure people here have have questions so if you have a question for either or both of us just raise your hand and speak up 
Don't be shy. Oh, is the is Drake? <gasps> oh my God! Thank you so much. Whoa! I know. Been to a rookie yeah. before. What is your name? Alyssa. I uh, think the last day of the road trip at LA. No way! That was so long yeah, ago. When we got uh, Oh my gosh! Um, please give it up for Alyssa. <laughs> I need some way. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I need. To... Oh my god! What if it was like, um, like when people draw on their buttons and then make them on on their buttons, <laughs> on their like belly buttons and stomach and make them like dance. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just way too excited. <laughs> um, okay, you. Okay, if anyone has a question, I'll figure out how to like put this on my body later. Oh my gosh! Wow. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> a ceremony. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> It's like pin the Drake on the body. <laughs> but is he like on my crotch? Like, is that weird? Yeah, we might have to fix. Let's fix okay. this. Eric, this is even weirder. <laughs> yeah. This is very. Hello. This is a great use of your time. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Okay, this will do for now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, don't be shy. Do you have any questions? Yeah. What is it like at your age to be so like looked to for advice or guidance or whatever? Like, what does it feel like when someone comes to you and they're older than you or whatever? Mm. I'm older than you, but like, I, you know, whatever. Like, what does that feel like for you? Um, it can feel really overwhelming sometimes because that's also like a part of Tumblr mentality is like this person is unproblematic and if they say something bad all of a sudden they're a problematic fave. Um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like some of you guys are on, like, on Tumblr. Um, and so yeah, it can feel really like scary and like I can feel scared to mess up but that kind of ties into the thing I was saying before about humanizing myself and that can be the problem with celebrities a lot of the time is when they do mess up they defend themselves instead of accepting that they're human and they make mistakes so so hopefully what I can do is um you know, when I do make mistakes, which is, like, bound to happen because I'm a human being, um, I can just be like, I'm sorry I made this mistake, and I recognize the mistake I made, and now I can move forward. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No, it does. Um, I mean, that aspect of, like, celebrity culture and the Internet baffles me because, in my mind, there's, like, no reason why someone being good at music should also mean that they take an incredibly empathic worldview <laughs> like I and I just think in general putting people on a pedestal is dangerous but for me when people knowing that uh, older people like read Rookie or know or are, I don't know t take some kind of comfort in my work I 
Yeah, I guess it is a little weird, but age is such a, like, non-thing in my life. It's like, I have friends who are, like, 13. I have friends who are, like, way older than me and have children. I have, just because of the way, you know, I'm not in college. It's, I'm just, like, this floating satellite or whatever. (laughs) So, it's just weirdly not something I think about a lot. Like, I wouldn't have guessed that you were older than me, but I also feel like we would talk to each other the same way, you know? So, um, that sounds kind of like cop-out, hippy-dippy. Like, we're all rainbows. Yeah, (laughs) age is just a construct. (laughs) Um, But it just doesn't, you know, I work, all the people who work technically below me are much older than me. Um, They're in their early to late 20s and early to mid 30s. Uh, Those would be rookie editors. Um, so, it's a little, but I'm also like, it's not weird, because it's what I know, and everyone's nice to each other, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah? Um, you said on your Tumblr a few months ago that one of your dream movie roles would be Bernita Green's daughter, if Quentin Tarantino ever made another film. Yeah. And, um, I love that idea. Um, and I was wondering if you, either of you had, um, major film influences that kind of shape your ideas, and, um, just aesthetically, or, um, anyway at all. Yeah, Kill Bill is one of my all-time favorite movies because I also love anime, and it's like everything I love in one movie. Um, And I obviously love Hayao Miyazaki and Spirited Away. And I'm trying to think what I've watched recently that I loved. Um, I just watched Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. And that, like, touched my heart. (laughs) My heart was bursting. I also just got into a really bad early Leonardo DiCaprio phase (laughs) and it's embarrassing no shame (laughs) okay it's not embarrassing it's just like overwhelming Um, (laughs) I just watched Catch Me If You Can yeah Yeah. and I watched it like illegally and then after watching it illegally I went and I bought it from iTunes that's how just dedicated I felt to that movie Um, I also love Wes Anderson but like who doesn't um Ooh, I also watch Funny Face. Yeah. You guys seen Funny Face? This is kind of a Funny Face look. You know, like the picture where she's like... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, like, aesthetically, that movie is very dreamy to me. And I love it. Okay. Um, gosh, I have so many. Um, well, when I was, like, in high school, I did try to make my bedroom resemble like the virgin suicides as much as possible and I had a shelf dedicated to Twin Peaks and I had like the replica of the uh, best friend necklaces and like Laura Palmer's diary do you know about this? David Lynch's daughter wrote a book and it's the diary of Laura Palmer and it's crazy because there are things that are like Laura at age 8 talking about Bob and it's just like a great way to go deep if you've like watched the series and the movie and you want more um, so I was, yeah, my high school bedroom was, like, a mess of things like that. And now, movies I've enjoyed that I've seen recently, well, it's weird because nothing, I think, really influences me as much as, like, I think the first things you see that really blow your mind are, like, uh, like, I'll never feel 
Just because I feel like now I know that interesting movies exist. So I'm like, oh, this is a really cool movie. I, I love it a lot. But I know that this is out there. Whereas when I'm like 12 and it's like the first thing I found on my own, I just like couldn't believe that someone had made like Harold and Maude or the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, but I feel like those are still the biggest things. Um, although I just saw like Man on Wire, um, the documentary about the guy who uh, tightrope walked across the Twin Towers, and that's amazing. And that's like a thing I saw recently that I liked. But yeah, I, those are the, the early influences. <laughs> and your costume is obviously great. <laughs> yeah. yeah growing up that's always been a part of my life like people telling me that Do you and want to rephrase it so because I don't know yeah could everyone hear that no so what she said is basically um growing up biracial some people were always denying a part of her and were either saying like oh you um you're not really black because you're part Mexican, you can't talk about black issues, or you, just, you know, not believing um, her ethnicity or, or identity, and that can feel really gross. And I completely understand that because that happens to me now, especially now that I'm kind of in a position where I'm talking about um, black issues a lot, and people try to invalidate my perspective by saying, "But you're part white, like you can't talk about that." Um, you're not a real black person. And my response to that is my experience of the world is as a black person. That's just a fact, you know. When I meet people, when I go into the world, people look at me, they see a black person, that's how I'm interpreted, that's how I experience the world. And to those people who try to deny parts of you, um... What I like to think is that they're trying to deny parts of me because they can't really like handle me yet. And maybe they will be able to one day, but they're just not there yet. So what I like to do is ignore them <laughs> and and not really talk to them <laughs> and just realize like I am someone who 
is mixed and that's really that's really cool and that's a part of my identity it's shaped me in so many ways I'm a multifaceted individual I have all these influences from my mom who's black from my dad who's European like it just I realize how cool it is to be like that culturally rich you know and so yeah I'm sorry you have to deal with that because I know it's really shitty but um I would just ignore that and it's really easy to say but ignore it knowing that it's because they can't handle you yet because you're so cool I know you had your hand raised. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm so like overwhelmed. (laughs) No pressure. Silly question, just like with help with dealing with things. Uh So I feel like the passage that you read today like resonated with me a lot. Because I feel like I'm someone who is like very obsessive about like everything and Mm -hmm. often manifests itself in like boys. Um, But like. I don't know, it's weird because I have this like compulsion to always like have like a crush and like have someone's name like do the alumni math homework and stuff like that. And it's not because like I want, it's like a self-esteem thing, like I want someone to like like me and that'll make me feel good, but like just because I enjoy the process of liking someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it becomes like totally distracting and debilitating. So like, I don't know how to like, like I have a hard time controlling like my brain. <laughs> 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 like, I don't know if I've figured that out for myself. <laughs> it's so much fun to have crushes on people. It's so much fun. I don't. May I? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, you can all Venmo me later because this is straight from my therapist. Just kidding, but it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm like a really, I have an obsessive personality. Um, And part of, and that seems to work with people who don't really offer anything in return. Um, And uh, one thing Amy said (laughs) is um, she was like, I'm interested in why you'd rather have an idol than contend with your own power. And I was like, what do you mean my power? And she was like, the fact that you even have to ask. Like, And then she told me some things about myself that I, I do like. And I was like, oh, yeah. But I guess it's like, you know, we all carry around a bit of, like, shame, wanting to be loved, stuff like that. But even if it's not about being validated by having, like, a boy tell you you're pretty, I think... They can just act as really good... Oh, you know what? My friend Jenny, who's a rookie writer, who has some stuff in the book, Jenny Zhang said, um, they're vessels for whatever you need at that moment, and the emptier they are, the better. (laughs) So, like, if you're drawing some person's name, it's like, it's not about that person. It's like, it's about you, and that person, or the idea of them holds answers to questions you have. Um, I've become obsessed with learning about, like, symbolism and archetypes and project... This is getting very, like, psych and annoying, but, like, projection and just basically, like, how much 
is me and how much is the other person and what does it look like to connect with someone purely um, would love to know in a romantic sense um, and I guess it's you it's you like I've been I've been like obsessed over um, like things that ended a long time ago and then I realized like oh it's because to me that person represents like moving through the world this way thinking about art in this way um not having empathy for other people and my obsession is more with being like I need that person to have their comeuppance because I need to know that life doesn't work out for someone like that because those are not the things that I believe in I'm making myself sound so like self-righteous I'm like an E.L. Koenigsberg character um but you know it's a way of understanding your beliefs and the things they represent and how much you want to take and how much you want to leave um so I I think if you can you don't have to stop having these obsessions you should just let them take you somewhere new and understand the whole while that maybe you keep it to yourself so you don't make them feel dehumanized um maybe there's a book about this called I Love Dick where the woman writes a bunch of letters to have you read it yeah like uh, like I guess I don't know I don't know what it is about and it's also there's also no non-cliched way to talk about it like I'm like love makes you do crazy things it's like oh yeah um for whatever reason for some of us it it is a really good springboard to understand things about ourselves so yeah they're empty vessels (laughs) emptier the better at certain times just don't make them feel dehumanized and don't give them too much power at all um I finally got an apology from this person who I've been like, does he get his comeuppance? Does Ebenezer Scrooge get visited by the ghost? (laughs) I got a long, thoughtful, reflective apology. And it was, I just like put my phone down and I was like, this, without taking away from anyone's experience with religion, I was like, this must be what it's like to learn that God is not necessarily real like that he exists if you believe in him like I was like oh because I got my apology but I still have like things in my like just realizing that you can hold these people up and they represent standards you have for yourself and the way you think like what you think it means to be a good person or to be a cute person or to be attractive or to be dateable or whatever and I was just like oh, this is what it's like to learn that these are actually all my ideas. I don't know if any of that was helpful. Um, But yeah. I also feel very, like, Kathy being like, oh, let me tell you, ack. But that's okay. Kathy the cartoon. I don't know. So maybe just one more, and then we'll start the signing. Yeah. Hi, I'm Christmas Law. I personally love you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, I recently developed this deep existential fear that I will never finish things that I set out to do myself. And you guys have like done amazing things, you know. And I'm wondering, how do you develop the confidence to put yourself out there and like talk about these subjects, like your personal ideas of them? Mm. 
Um, um, I always I have that fear a lot actually that like oh I want to do this thing want to make this thing I'm never gonna make it. Um, but then I realize that the reason that I'm not doing it is because I'm a perfectionist and I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> And the reason I procrastinate is not because I'm lazy. It's because I have such high expectations for myself that I psych myself out of doing them. So when I have those feelings, I realize the best thing to do is just do the thing and do it. And Maybe it's really, really bad. And that's okay for the moment because at least I did something. Um, and that's a constant process, just recognizing when I'm being really hard on myself. And that's the reason why I'm not doing something. And it's kind of like you just have to, like, throw it up. Like, you just have to, like, if it's, like, something you want to write or make, you just have to, like, bleh. And then at least it's out there and you can mold it to whatever you want it to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think this just means that you have good taste and high expectations of yourself. Use that as, like, a safety net. Do it, like, let yourself make what you want to make or write what you want to write, knowing that, You'll, you can, you know, read it in the morning and catch anything that is, you know, wrong. But it's not seen by the public as soon as you just jot down the idea. And once you put it out there, people can have different ideas about it. They can have their own interpretation. They're bringing a lot of their own stuff to, I mean, we talk, I talk a lot about projection. They're bringing their own personal taste, biases, beliefs to your work. So... It's not personal. And the next day you can, like, make something new, you know? So, I, is that helpful? I, I hope so. Best of luck with what you're working on. <laughs> um, well, thanks for all the questions. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.